This podcast was recorded at Grace Point Church of Orville. For more information, visit us online at orogracepoint.com. Psalm 132, which is our 13th song in this series. And before I read it, let me just say what a refreshing framing of obedience. That's a much maligned word these days. I think it's rather out of fashion, but it's really important in the life of a disciple. So let me read for you Psalm 132 from the translation in our reading. Oh God, remember David, remember all his troubles, and remember how he promised God, made a vow to the strong God of Jacob. I'm not going home, and I'm not going to bed. I'm not going to sleep, not even taking time to rest, until I find a home for God. A house for the strong God of Jacob. Remember how he got the news in Ephrathah. Learned all about it at Yaar Meadows. We shouted, let us go to the shrine dedication. Let's worship at God's own footstool. Up, God, enjoy your new place of quiet repose. You and your mighty covenant ark. Get your priests all dressed up in justice. Prompt your worshipers to sing this prayer. Honor your servant David. Don't disdain your anointed one. God gave David his word. He won't back out on this promise. One of your sons I will set on your throne. If your sons stay true to my covenant and learn to live the way I teach them, their sons will continue the line. Always a son to sit on your throne. Yes, I, God, chose Zion, the place I wanted for my shrine. This will always be my home. This is what I want, and I'm here for good. I'll shower blessings on the pilgrims who come here and give supper to those who arrive hungry. I'll dress my priests in salvation clothes. The holy people will sing their hearts out. Oh, I'll make the place radiant for David. I'll fill it with light for my anointed. I'll dress his enemies in dirty rags, but I'll make his crown sparkle with splendor. This psalm is a little bit longer, if you didn't notice, than some of the others, but it introduces and reminds us of a really important component in the life of the disciple, this concept of obedience. Now, our writer, he gives kind of an interesting example of the person he encountered in the hospital. You know, when he's uh, scared, he wanted somebody to pray, and then when he was crazy, He wanted somebody to pray, but for some reason in the normal periods, he didn't seem to have a lot of use for God. And that's probably true for a lot of folks. But the disciple has to, at some point, reach a level of maturity where our relationship with God, our interaction with God, isn't swinging between those two poles, where the only time we talk to God is when we're in trouble or going out of our mind somehow. But the disciple, the one who is walking on this pilgrim road, has to learn at some point we need a faith that is sane and stable. Not petrified, not something dead and lifeless, but something that's useful Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that becomes a part of our regular life. And Psalm 132 is a really helpful framing psalm, an orienting psalm that really grounds us why are we walking in obedience to God. In the middle of the psalm, 
You may have heard that line when he speaks about his sons. If your sons stay true to my covenant and learn to live the way I teach them. Ultimately, this walk of discipleship is to grow in the knowledge of God and God's teaching and God's instruction. But there needs to be some foundation or some framing to that. Otherwise, it's really easy to float off into all sorts of extremes. This psalm is one of the oldest psalms in the Bible. Not all of the Bible, of course, is written at the same time. This psalm is or seems to be older, and there are lots of ways that you can figure these things out, and I'll spare you the details right now. But the best guess is this one is older than the rest of the psalms that we've been looking at so far. And it's a psalm about the life of David in particular and David's obedience. It's about David's desire and his commitment to God to bring God's presence into Jerusalem. And it pivots, or it's composed rather, of these two pieces that frame obedience. The first part is the historical grounding. So the first half of Psalm 132, it roots this song about obedience and commitment and walking in the ways of God in the history of the people of God. Why is it that we want to obey God, that, that we can trust in God? Well, there's a story. There's a backstory to what's going on. And the particular story that this psalm zeroes in on is the story of the Ark of the Covenant. It's a grounding psalm. It reminds them, do you remember David? And when David went to get the presence of God. At this point in time, the collection together as it is, the people singing it, there's a temple. But there hadn't always been a temple. There was a time before there was a temple. You remember the story in the wilderness time where God gives Moses instructions. They build this ark, interesting looking box covered in gold to cherubim at the top where the presence of God, it was the representation rather of the presence of God. It symbolized God in their midst. And it was an important part of their story. And as they move through time, their various interactions with the Ark of the Covenant provide some really important lessons about what it means to obey God as opposed to trying to manipulate God. So if you think about the history of the Ark, there are all kinds of events where they carry it wrong. And bad things happen. Or the time when they decide that they should use it as some sort of, almost like a magic um, talisman or some sort of thing where they're going to take it out because they're fighting the Philistines. And so, well, let's just bring this thing out and wave it around and, and then we'll defeat them. Well, that didn't work out so well. You know the story. The ark gets captured. It gets taken away because... God is not somebody that you can just manipulate. That's not what obedience. Obedience is not about, well, I need to do these five things and then I can compel God to do something else. Obedience has a different story. It has a different history. And it's grounded in God's presence being among His people. 
Why do we want to walk in God's ways? Why do we want to follow and seek after God? Because God is actually present in our lives. He's not a distant landlord, somebody far off who's sending messages. But this call to obedience is a call to learn to walk in fellowship with the God who has been journeying along with us down through the ages. The God who's liberated us from Egypt. The God who's the God who is sustaining us into the future, the God who has made great promises for us, we need to learn to walk with that God. This is the framing of obedience. And what it does, by calling their memory, by starting off this song about obeying and learning to walk in harmony with God, by reminding them of history, it sets the story of obedience in deep time. And that's really important for disciples. If we don't have a conception of God's history, of God's story, then it's really easy to just make things up on the fly, to fall prey to our own momentary flights of fancy, whether it's terror or insanity, and to evaluate or try to negotiate and create a relationship with God based on the momentary things that are happening to me right now. If we want to live a life of discipleship that is mature, we need to work with more data than just our own personal experience. That's why this psalm about obedience begins with a memory of a well-traveled path. When we think about what does God expect from me? Why should I pay attention to God? It can't be grounded in our own momentary experience. We are finite. And to judge the whole world and judge what God is doing and judge the Bible by the last 10 minutes is a really foolhardy endeavor. It's not just about what do I feel in this moment. So there's this temptation, if we're not careful, to pick too small of a sample size and then say, well, you know, I prayed once and it didn't do any good. So I don't need to pray. That's pointless. Or, you know, I went to church three times and look at my life. It's still a mess. Your sample size is too small. And if you have a small sample size, sometimes when you read the scripture and you see what God's asking you to do, you'll back up and say, oh, I don't know about that. That doesn't seem like it would work for me. I, I, I'm not sure this is a good idea. It's because I don't have enough experience to judge these sorts of things. I think it's somewhat reasonable to say, I, I don't want to experiment with my own life in doing all this stuff in the Bible. The good news is you don't have to be the experiment. The good news is when we read in the Scripture the commandments of the Lord, we're not the first people that have been given these things. And this psalm reminds us that there is a long history, centuries, millennia of experience that we can draw upon. And what's nice about the Bible is if you'll notice in talking about the history, it doesn't romanticize it. It gives you this consistent, rock-solid view of God and then it shows you all of humanity in all of its various shapes and forms. And so you get to read about not just all the good things, 
you get to read about the mistakes. And God's faithful. God took care of them. Now, when Israel turns away and rebels, yeah, chaos is unleashed. But when I look at this story, I find this reservoir of strength and confidence and hope because they're very real people. And I like how our writer phrases this at the top of page 167. Beautiful couple of lines. He says, a Christian who has David in his bones, Jeremiah in his bloodstream, Paul in his fingertips, and Christ in his heart will know how much and how little value to put on his own momentary feelings and experience of the past week. To remain willfully ignorant of Abraham wandering in the desert, the Hebrews enslaved in Egypt, David battling the Philistines, Jesus arguing with the Pharisees, and Paul writing to the Corinthians is like saying, I refuse to remember that when I kicked that black dog last week, he bit my leg. And if I don't remember it, in the next fit of anger, I will kick him again and get bitten again. Biblical history is a good memory for what doesn't work. It's also a good memory for what does work. Disciples who have a defective memory feel like they have to invent the wheel from scratch every single week. Every single problem, every single challenge of life that somehow I have to come up with a novel solution. This psalm encourages us and frames obedience within this understanding that I'm not the first person who's traveled down this road. I'm not the first person to experience these sorts of things. And so even if my own emotions are telling me, Bail, this is not going to work. Do your own thing. I can rely upon the history of the people of faith and say, I may not feel like this is working right now, but I have a witness, I have a testimony in the life of faith, in the story of the people of God that says, if I stick with it, I'm going to be okay. Psalm 132, it activates faith's memory so that our obedience is sane. That when we look at the scripture and we look at what God is doing, we're not responding out of panic or terror or be feeling overwhelmed. We're saying, God called us to be part of a story, a long history, so I can trust what God is saying. I can believe that when God makes promises, He'll follow through on them. So on the one hand, Psalm 132 anchors obedience in the history of faith. And it's a glorious history. It's ups and downs and this direction and that and people making mistakes, people trying out various things. Sometimes you look at the history of faith and you say, hey, that's what we don't need to do there. Look how it worked out for them. In other stories, I get encouragement. I say, wow, God provided for them. God took care of them. It looked like it wasn't going to work, but God said, keep marching. And they kept marching, and God took care of them. So I may not be able to see over the next hill, but God's telling me, keep walking. He will take care of me. It grounds obedience in deep time. If we're going to successfully obey God, you have to have that big picture in mind. Because your emotions will lie to you. 
your present experience. We are only human. And sometimes life has a way of overwhelming us. Life has a way of clouding our judgment. And if we're not grounded in this long story, then all sorts of whims, uh, all sorts of flights of fancy appear. And next thing you know, we're off trying this and trying that. Sometimes Christians like to think that they have some new, wonderful, nobody's ever done this, nobody's ever thought about this. No, you're on a well-traveled path. And if you think that somehow you're the select few that out of all time, the only ones that ever got it right, you're living in a dreamland because you have a Bible, you have scriptures, you have all of these things because God took care of his people down through time. Even when they were imperfect, even when they messed up, walking with him, he took care of them. But obedience is not just grounded in the past. It's not just thinking and reminiscing about what used to be. And our writer points out, I think it's a good observation, the Bible, even though it talks a lot about history, it never calls the past the good old days, the good old times. It doesn't use that phrase. The past is important, not because we have to live in the past, but that grounds us so that we can look to the future and step. You need ground if you want to walk. You need something to push off of to step up. This is the problem if you've ever seen any of these wonderful videos of people in space, weightless. It, it's a whole different world because there's nothing, nothing to propel you. Um, so you're stuck floating around. If you push on something, it may not go away. You might push back. Um, I'm sure everybody here has seen videos of these folks floating around. It looks so cool. Maybe one of these days it'll be cheap enough we can all fly up there and I want to do the real thing, though, not just do the virtual headset thing. One of these days, I want to go to space. So I blame my dad will go with me if nobody else does. <laughs> Psalm 132, it doesn't just keep you anchored on the ground. It gives you this foundation so that you can walk into the future. And obedience is not just stuck in this rut of, well, I know we have to do these five things, so let's just keep doing them over and over again. No, obedience is framed in this psalm as the traveler getting through their knowledge of the past, through their memory of God's deeds in the past, the works of God in His people in the past, this confidence that says, you know what? Look at all this past history. I'm going to build on that so that I can go where God wants me to go. This second half of the psalm, it doesn't just stay with what happened in the past, but it takes seriously what God says to David, how David responds, and then uses that to construct a vision of the future, the future of faith. And folks who have been able to encounter God, walk with God, they are able to envision God's future much better than people who have no experience with God. Now, you can meet someone, and in an initial experience, you can come to know somebody a little bit, but to have deep trust in someone for the future, you need a history with them. 
you need a backstory. You need something that you can ground your view of the future upon. And this view of the future that we get in Psalm 132 is grounded in the past. Each of these promises are connected to memories from what has happened. So God says, I'll shower blessings on the pilgrims who come here and give supper to those who arrive hungry. If you know your Bible, you can't help but to think about water and manna and quail and all of these things that God provided. So when God says, if you're coming up to my mountain, I'm going to take care of you. They can sing this with confidence because they have memories. God's been taking care of his people since he called them out of Egypt, providing for them, guiding them. I'll dress my priests in salvation clothes. The holy people will sing their hearts out. From Moses and Miriam at the edge of the Red Sea, God's people have been singing about his goodness and his blessings and his works of salvation from the beginning. So, of course, when I look to the future, what am I going to expect? We're not just going to hang out on the shores of the Red Sea, but we're going forward thinking about celebrating and singing in God's house on Mount Zion. God says, oh, I'll make the place radiant for David. I'll fill it with light for my anointed. Down through Scripture, God's light. It's an image that appears again and again and again. God's blessing, God guiding their pathway. Scripture, His Spirit working together creating a future for these people. So when these folks are singing this, they're not singing about totally new concepts. Notice, they're not just hung up and reliving the past, but in their minds, they have the story. They know a history. And so when they sing these songs, that's what's framing. That's what's giving color to the future that God is talking to them about in in teaching, those of you that have had any experience teaching, you've probably recognized this, this or read about it. They teach it in various pedagogy classes. If you want to help somebody learn something new, you have to connect it to something they already know. Otherwise, it's just floating around type of thing. If you can find some new concept and establish a link to something that they already know that you can build on, that's, that's what it means to be a human. We tell stories. That's how we relate to other people. We hear about their story, and we connect parts of their story to our story. And we think about the story of our country. Think about all the holidays we celebrate. They're all about stories. Now, we don't really celebrate isolated little facts. We celebrate connections and obedience. If I'm really going to get it, if I'm really going to see it as something more than a list of dry, dusty rules, God oppressing me, God trying to micromanage my life, this psalm, by connecting us to the story, reminds us that these things that God's talking about for our future, it's a bright future. It's a good thing. God's teaching, God's commandments... They're framed as part of this story of God taking care of his people, not of God hemming them in and trying somehow to keep them from having any type of a good time. Psalm 132, it cultivates a hope through memories of the past that gives wings to obedience. 
that allows me to walk confidently in the future. Say, well, why do we need all this? Well, if you haven't noticed, when you read the Bible, sometimes God asks us to do things that we otherwise wouldn't do. Right? If you're one of these people that, oh, everything God asks me to do, no problem. You're not reading or you're, or you're lying to us. Because each and every one of us are confronted. Nobody's perfect. And in Scripture, God confronts our weaknesses. God confronts those areas of our life that are not in harmony with how He intended for creation to be. And He calls us out of that into a more perfect relationship with Him. A more perfect relationship with one another. A more perfect relationship as a steward of what He's put into our hands. And that often requires a leap. It requires a step. Obedience is not passive. It requires that I act. And sometimes I act in a way that based on my present experience, my present knowledge, I'm not so sure this is the best idea. This psalm gives us the ability to step out, to move beyond our present reality by reminding us of the past. And that's a beautiful relationship. Sadly, as we've seen in a number of these psalms, folks tend to fall into one extreme or the other. They either live in the past, and they're, they're all, their only concern is about trying to get us back to the good old days. Not recognizing that the sun keeps coming up. Right? The world keeps turning. You can't go back to yesterday. Then you have folks who seem to have no memory of anything. They're the first people that have ever done this. Example that keeps coming up, and I don't know why, but it seems to be a prevalent thing in our culture. They're the first people to ever have kids. Nobody has ever had kids before them. I guess we all just sprung fully formed from our mother's sides like the Buddha or something. They're the first ones to ever have kids. They've got to invent the whole thing on their own. No. People... I, well, not people. Women have been having kids. Let's be honest. We can't take any credit for this. Women have been having kids for tens of thousands of years. It's not a new thing. On the other hand, hospitals are rather nice. Having some help is a good thing. You don't need to go back to the good old days and just, you know, be working out in the field somewhere, and oh, it's time to give birth. Let me just give birth right out here. Medicine? No, we don't need that. No, so there's a balance. And in the Christian walk, mature faith also wrestles with that balance. I'm not the first pilgrim walking down this road, but I do need to be walking. I'm not the first person called into fellowship with God, but it's a call to get up from where I am and journey into the future with God, to journey into the future towards the city of God. We need roots in the past to give obedience ballast, to ground it, to give it a strong foundation. And we need a vision of the future to give obedience direction. And Psalm 132 offers both of these things to the pilgrim. It evokes these memories. 
Sing the songs of Zion. Sing about the good things that God has done in the past. But then also hear the Lord calling you to a future. Calling you to a better land. If you'll notice and if you'll think about the story of the Exodus, God says to Moses and to the children of Israel, I'm bringing you out of Egypt so that I can bring you into a good land. It wasn't just come out of Egypt. And now we can all sit on the side of the Red Sea and just tell stories until we all die about how great it was coming out of Egypt. No, there's a promised land to go to. And as they walk, there's a number of other psalms that sing about that journey. How do we know we're going to be able to get there? Well, God brought us out. That's one of the great tragedies of the spies. The spies didn't understand this. They get to the promised land and they seem to have forgotten where God brought them from. Because now they're imagining that somehow they're going to have to fight this enemy. We're just like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Well, don't you remember? You were grasshoppers compared to Pharaoh too. The Lord brought you out. The Lord with a mighty hand delivered you. Why can't he take you forward? So, what do they do? They just go in circles until they all die. They didn't understand this balance between having a past, recognizing the amazing things that God has done, not just for us, but for his people down through time. And then allowing that to be a springboard for the future. And I like on page 170, another paragraph that I think is really spot on here. The, the second paragraph sums up really nicely why this is important. If we never learn how to do this, that is to say, achieve this balance between obedience that's grounded in the past, but then stepping out into the future. If we never learn how to do this, extend the boundaries of our lives beyond the dates enclosed by birth, by our birth and death, and acquire an understanding of God's way as something larger and more complete than the anecdotes in our private diaries, we will forever be missing the point of things by making headlines out of something that ought to be tucked away on page 97 in section C of the newspaper or putting into the classified ads something that should be getting a full-page color, color advertisement, mistaking a sore throat for a descent into hell. Obedience and this biblical framing of obedience grounded in deep time, grounded in God's big vision, allows us to live beyond the bookends of our own experience. Your experience alone is insufficient to successfully navigate life. That should be obvious to any mature person. In fact, one of the signs of immaturity are those young people who already know it all. You're 18 and you know it all. Really? I once heard a guy say, and it was spot on. He said, you know, in high school, he said, my dad was the dumbest guy I ever met. He said, then I went away to college. He said, my dad must have been doing night classes or something. Because when I got back from college, my dad knew all kinds of things. Dad didn't learn anything new. Son learned something new. Went away and finally got a little bit of experience. And oh, 
Yeah, maybe you guys know something about this. Immaturity in our world is characterized by, I've got it all figured out. I don't need anybody's help. As disciples, we need to resist that temptation. We don't have the whole story. God has the whole story. But thankfully, he has given us his scriptures, which recount for us not just a past that shows examples and models, paradigms of things to do and things not to do, but also a call to the future. And our job is to live in the present with both of these things in mind, both of these things in view. Psalm 132, it cultivates our memory and it nurtures our hope so that we can really be obedient, so that we can really take God serious, so that we can really have confidence in what God is asking us to do. We need to keep our feet on the ground. We need to be anchored in the story of God's people, in the story of God's work down through time, but we also need to recognize God still has some place for us to go. God still has new things for us to experience, new places for us to visit as a people in our own individual lives, in our families. God's not done working, and he's going to ask us to do things along this journey. He's going to ask us to step out by faith. He's going to ask us to make commitments He's going to ask us to turn away from this and turn towards that. How am I going to have the confidence and the sanity to really obey God, to walk in true obedience with God, not just be one of these people that, oh, I'll listen to God because I think I'm going to die tomorrow. We are called to be people on the move. Don't get lost in the past. Celebrate it, rejoice in it, but look to the future with confidence. That's what this psalm does. Obedience is a willingness and a commitment to walk on the pilgrim path. Think about that imagery. It's this, it's, I'm not just willing, but I am committed to walking on the pilgrim path. Not sitting and lamenting the past or romanticizing the past. But likewise, it's not a willingness and a commitment to chop my own path through the jungle. It's not what God's asking us to do. God's asking us to walk on a sure path, a well-tested pathway. That is the biblical concept of obedience. Not mindless ritual, not a whole list of things that we do out of panic. Say, hey, there's a good destination. We're headed somewhere. God's leading us. We can have confidence in him. So that is our psalm, the way that it frames obedience. I think it's a rather nice framing of obedience. Thank you for listening. Our podcasts are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. To hear more, visit us online at orogracepoint.com.